On this episode, I have a conversation with my brother, Sean Franich, about his journey out of addiction. You're listening to the Anchor of Hope Recovery Podcast, the show that brings you Christ-centered recovery advice, inspiring testimonies from people who are winning the battle with addiction, and encouragement for your journey. Now, here's your host, Justin Franich. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of our Anchor Conversations. And just to continue to set the stage for what these conversations are all about, these are conversations where I interview people that have found freedom from addiction, that have on, attributed their freedom from addiction to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, back to the premise of the entire show, we believe that Anchor is the hope. Um, yeah, anchor is the hope for the soul. And on, you know, the scripture talks about that. And so today I've got another anchor conversation coming at you. And I'm excited to actually interview a family member of mine. And I've got my brother here on the show today. And, you know, it's interesting, Sean, myself, and also my sister, Annie, we all have our individual journeys with addiction. Um, you know, addiction kind of plagued our family. It it took a hold of all three of us. And you know, thank, thank God we were all able to eventually get free from drug and alcohol addiction through a relationship with Jesus at a program called Teen Challenge. And so I'm just excited today to talk to Sean, and uh, we're going to chat a little bit about our family history. Uh, he's going to share some of his story with you. And so, um, Sean, how are you today? I'm doing good. All right, so I'm going to try not to make this awkward. I know that, um, you know, we talk all the time, right? And so um, yeah. as we as we get on the show today and we have conversation – um, you know, let's just let's just have a have a conversation. I'll, I'll start out by asking you to just share your story. Um, you know, people don't know your journey like I do, and so just share a little bit of your journey and um, you know, kind of what led you to addiction, how all that started, and and then we'll we'll keep going in the conversation from there. All right. Well, I guess it um it started when I was in about ninth, 10th grade when I um, started partying with my friends from high school. Uh, we used to skip school and go across the street to a laundromat. And, we, you know, we, originally we started going over there just to smoke cigarettes. And then we started drinking. And then drinking turned into smoking weed. And so I did that pretty heavily for a while. And and then once you, once you get in that kind of lifestyle, you know, you always have to upgrade. So I started experimenting with Coke, meth, you know, just all sorts of different things. And then as life went on, I actually started experiencing a really, really good high from pills. And pills are really what took me out. Like they were taking me down quick. And I was, I like this billboard I used to see in Baltimore when we were on our way to CR. It was a person, it was a big picture of a pill bottle with a person inside of it looking out with his hands up on the, the walls of the bottle. And that's exactly how it is. I mean, it's, it takes control of you and it, you really become helpless. And the only reason I got away from that is because. I surrendered to Jesus. I surrendered everything. And he's the only reason that I'm where I'm at today. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, with, with pills and you know how, I mean, I know our, our conversations over the years and how oftentimes we can, uh, 
we can almost um, fake injuries, you know, and, and maybe some of that's changing today as the opioid crisis becomes more prevalent. It's not as easy to get pills, but I know back in, back in your day, I mean, you always had an injury that would pop up that would allow you to get this medication. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, well, I mean, back in the day, it was pretty simple to, to get pills. Actually, one of my best friends, we used to both go to the hospital at the same time and make bets on what we were going to get. And you could do that two or three times in a seven day period at different hospitals. And because back then they didn't, they didn't track the prescriptions like they started doing a few years back. And I even remember that I, um, I hit my hand with a hammer to make it swell up. And my friend did a similar thing with his knee. And we, you know, of course we went and got pills. They gave us what, you know, they gave us what we wanted. So, and Back then, I mean, the Valley, Shenandoah Valley was plagued with that kind of stuff. I mean, every time you went to the ER, you would see people that you were getting high with and stuff like that. And, you know, you'd know why they were in there. And you yeah. can actually, I remember being in the hospital back in the rooms and where they had the curtains up. I used to actually hear people. I My best friend was at the hospital and I didn't even know he went. I tried to go without him, so I didn't have to share with him. And I heard him talking and then he heard me talking and we started cracking up because it was like we were trying to do it behind each other's back. Yeah. So, I mean, it really, it really gets a hold of you. Yeah. And I think, I think there, there, there's a whole, a whole, you know, conversation there about how, you know, how, how obviously we make our own choices, but how complicit the drug industry, you know, was and is in a lot of the opioid crisis that we're seeing today, because, I mean, act like these doctors didn't know that people were getting hooked and that they weren't they weren't just doing it because they could turn a profit or they could get a dollar off of it. Um, I mean, that's just a scary thing. And I think a lot of the reason that we're seeing some of the crisis we're seeing now and, of course, as pills aren't as easy to get, people are turning to heroin. And, you know, with the heroin being cut with fentanyl, it's becoming deadly. But um, it's just through that journey, you, you know, as you were as you were on struggling with addiction and fighting addiction. I mean, was there anything that you did to kind of fuel your addiction? How did you pay for it? How did you live that lifestyle? Well, I guess, um, I mean, just, just really just manipulating people. I, I was actually a master at that game and I would prey on, you know, like older, older people that were, you know, that were down and out in a poor neighborhood. And I knew, I just had, you know, we caught one of people that were getting scripts and I would, I'd pick them up every month, take them to the doctor and take them to the pharmacy and I would sell their pills for them. And when I was really bad in my addiction, I would, you know, I actually, I'm ashamed to say it, but you know, I actually stole the person's pills and replaced them with something else and then sold some of the pills back to them so I could buy more. I sold them for twice as much so I could end up with twice as much. And that was a, that was a daily routine for me just to see. I mean, I just, I went out every day seeking who I could get over on. So being somebody that used to be in that position and you were the manipulator, um, you were really good at it, you know, and I think, 
I think we saw that in our family a lot and it wasn't just you, it was myself, but in, in the middle of our, our family stuff and our family drama um, with all this manipulation going on, obviously we always knew what to say to mom and dad. We always knew how to rally them to our cause. Um, what would you say to somebody that's maybe on the other end of that manipulation relationship? They feel like they're being manipulated by somebody. They don't quite know what to do. They don't know, quite know how to tell so being that you were in that position of being the manipulator, you know, what advice would you give somebody that maybe is feeling as if they're being manipulated now, but they don't know what to do? Well, first off, I would just suggest that they, you know, they just have to stand up for what they know is right. And they have to understand the difference between loving someone and then loving them to death. Mm. Because you can... I could care, like, if I had a son that was doing what I was doing, naturally I'd love him, but if I continue to, you know, just give in and just do what he wanted and just keep making excuses for him over and over and over, then what happens if he dies from an overdose and I didn't stand my ground and do what he needed? So, I mean, that's why I say, even, even in the job I do to at this at this time in my life it's i i tell everybody that calls in and I'm, i just tell them straight up i'm like well you can you can grace somebody to death yeah because a lot of people confuse god's grace with you know with just giving people what they want and that's just not how it's supposed to be done and it's something that you're going to regret forever if you don't just stand up and get them the help i mean like i said it's they need Jesus. That's, yeah. that's that's what's going to get them through. They don't need detoxes. I mean, I I I don't understand the whole. I don't know. Sometimes you have to go to medical detox when you're on heroin, but I know plenty of people, including yourself, that went cold turkey. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's some medical. I know there's certain circumstances where you have to have a doctor involved, but for the most part, I think that's a crutch to prolong going into a treatment center to get the help you really need. Yeah. And I think, I think teen challenge does a good job of helping to determine that, you know, just speaking about, I know the program and the work that you're doing now, and we'll, and we'll talk about SVTC here in a few minutes, but I mean, teen challenge does a good job at, you know, getting people to the doctor, making sure they have a physical and making sure that it's going to be healthy for them to detox, you know, and, and cold Turkey, or if they need to go to a medical detox. And so, for those who may be listening, if you've been using opioids from a long time, by all means, seek medical care. We don't, we don't want you to put yourself at risk. But like Sean said, don't use it as an excuse, right? I mean, you know, I think detox is going to be painful no matter how you do it, whether you go to a doctor, whether you do it through a medical detox or you try to do it on your own. So just make smart choices and have a medical professional involved, especially if you've been using for a long time. Um, but so so go on. And I go think ahead. I think the key thing here. I just want to add this. I think the key thing here is that when people go, when people are at that point, and their families actually lay the law down for them, and then they get sucked into this like methadone or suboxone, so they're trading off addictions to another thing. That these these methadone clinics, they don't they they're not operating like they originally started. They originally started operating to where they would wean people off heroin and they would lower their doses throughout a certain number of days. Now what they're doing is 
and I know from personal experience with one of my really close friends that they start you off like that and then they up you every week. Yeah. So they they just want the money. So you could end up being there. I know he was ended up being there for seven years. Yeah. And the, the long-term effects of methadone is, you know, he lost his eyebrows, his chest hair. He was just losing hair all over his body and he was getting these like boil type things that, you know, he had to see a dermatologist for. And it was just, it was a huge mess. Yeah. So if you if you truly want to get help, then you won't go to another substance to get you off of what you're doing already. Yeah, and I think coming to that from a Christian perspective, we we understand that that's ultimately making a decision to follow Jesus and then submitting yourself to the process of becoming a disciple, which is a long term experience, right? I mean, it's it's not seven days at a detox clinic and then you're healed and everything's all good. I mean that that whole process afterwards is learning to live a new life and starting to be equipped with the tools that you're going to need in order to live a new life and not just saying, okay, well now I'm not physically withdrawing anymore. So I must be good to go back out and hit the road. So, so I want to, right. Share. And that's usually how that happens is you go to a detox for seven days and I don't even know how people, it took me longer than seven days to detox, but a lot of people go to detox and they're, they feel like a brand new person, but I think most of that is that anybody's going to feel better if you put them in a different situation they were that they were in, and you, they start following a schedule and they start doing this certain group every day at a certain time. So on the seventh day, our minds, our mindset is, "Oh, I got this, I'm good," and then they they leave the Jesus factor out because. You're always going to go back to that substance that you leaned on if you don't have Jesus to lean on. Because when you lean on Jesus, that's how you persevere and that's how you stand firm and that's how you continue sobriety. But if you don't have that, then you're pretty much done. Yeah, yeah it's hard. I couldn't imagine trying to fight addiction on my own. I don't, I don't, I don't know how I would have done it. I don't think I would have done it. I, I think I would have been another statistic on had that not been the case. So, so there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that we went through. Right. And I know, I know back in the day, I mean, you even did a little bit of on, you were in jail for a little bit or did you not go to jail? You were on probation for distribution for a little bit. And then I went to, um, then I was, I manipulated my way on house arrest. So what, like, like, so the house arrest and the jail and the threat of jail time, all that, that really didn't break it for you. Um, I know you kept going back to addiction, kind of had your, your ups and downs. How long were you in the addiction lifestyle? Probably until probably three, maybe three, three and a half years ago. I'd that say. You, yeah, you went to get help, but you started when you were 14. You're 40 now, so that was like, what, 13, 14 years that you were battling this thing or longer than that? Well, longer than that. I mean, I was... Here's so here's the key thing again. It's I had I had good times. I had you know where I got clean for a while. Would hold a job for four or five months, and then I would reward myself by getting high. As stupid as that sounds, but you know, and, and I think a lot of that is cliche because you when you grow up, like you know, when I was growing up, you see these shows, and I had family members that you know they'd work all day, and then they you know they drink beer at night, so. I didn't. I never really liked beer, so 
after I got after I got clean for that little stretch of time and I was working my butt off, everybody else would drink a beer and I'm like, Well, I'm not really feeling that so I would just go get some pills and I'm like, I could just do these ten pills tonight and then tomorrow I'll just hit I'll just hit my schedule back and then that's when it takes you down. So I mean it's it was off and on so many times that I can't even remember how many times I got clean, fell, got clean, failed. I mean, it was just, it was a, it was like a circle. It was like Groundhog Day. It's funny how, like, even in that, even in that moment, you shared earlier how you were a master manipulator and how even in those moments, you were even skillful at manipulating yourself into believing the lie that you wanted yourself to believe. And that was, I can handle this, right? I, I got this under control. Um, and so if, if all those different experiences, up and down, highs and lows, didn't do it, what was the breaking point? Like three and a half years ago, what would you say was the pivotal moment in your life that made you finally realize, I, I got to do something different. I can't keep living this way. I was actually when my, you know, well, you know, I have a daughter and she was right around one years old and we were, we were living in a bad situation and I started getting high again and I remember I was getting high and she, after I got high, I went and got her and I remember that she was kind of shimmying on the couch where I lived at and she came up and put her hand on my knee and then she put her head down on my, on my leg and then she looked up at me and smiled and then she stopped smiling and I actually, I didn't call you. I called my sister, you know, I called Annie and I told her that I needed to get help because just looking at my daughter's face at that point, I was just sitting there thinking about all the people that, you know, I guess it hit me hard because all the people that I was manipulating and all the people that I was selling stuff to, you know, because mostly I was supplying a lot of pills to this area and, and the people had families, you know, they had kids that were younger than my daughter at the time. And, I remember every time certain houses I would go to and I would drop something off that they had, you know, three or four month old babies and they would just leave them. They would just drop them right in the crib and they would just immediately dart over to where I was at. And they would, we would sit there and get high, sniff pills or whatever for 45 minutes to an hour. And I just, I, I'm looking back now. I can't even remember going back to the crib to check on the baby. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's just the reality of this whole thing. And it's just, you know, it's just a crazy lifestyle that it it really holds you in bondage. Yeah. And I know it sounds cliche, but I mean, until you surrender to Jesus, it's, that's just the beginning because after you surrender the addiction to Jesus, you really have to start following Jesus and then the Holy Spirit will, he will reveal the stuff that's in you that led you to that addiction. That's why, that's why I just think the relationship with Christ is so important because it's an ongoing, it's a, I mean, you know, as well as I do, we learn about, we learn about more about God every day. So what would you say that the Holy Spirit revealed in you? I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of root causes of your addiction and things that led you to addiction but is there anything specific that, that points out that during your, your discipleship journey, as you found Jesus, you began to follow him, that 
God began to reveal to you that kind of showed you, you know, this is why I do the things that I've done up to this point. Yeah, it was just, I had a rebellious attitude and I always, I mean, you know, that I was adopted by my, by my dad, which is my dad now, so I call him dad, but I had a lot of resentment, not, not necessarily towards him, but I guess towards my biological father, because I just couldn't understand like why he was so comfortable just giving up on me. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And to this day, I still, I still don't get it. And, and then I, I, I think back to like what my dad that's in my life now has done for me. And I put him, I mean, I put him through, literally put him through hell. And, and I, when I look back at things, I, all the, you know, a lot of the stuff that I went through was self-inflicted. Yeah. Because if I would have just gave him a, a shot, <laughs> then I wouldn't have had all those pinned up feelings and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's really just, I think it starts from a very young age, like the stuff that you experienced growing up. That's, that's why it's so important to raise your kids like in a, in a godly home because they need every chance. They need every, everything they can get to survive in this life and to be successful. Yeah. I mean, life is going to throw a lot of stuff at us and, you know, anything we can do to prevent our kids from experiencing some of those same traumas. And, you know, you were dealing with rejection and rejection is such a, such a strong emotion and such a strong thing that, that, you know, when, when we can't understand those type of things, it, it really, it really can eat at us and ultimately cause us to seek out acceptance. And that's the one thing that I know about the drug lifestyle is that it always accepted me, uh, always accepted me for who I was. And uh, it didn't put any expectations on me and, and it, and it, and that type of living, you know, just allowed me to feel accepted as a, I don't, I may be as it did you. Yeah. It's, um, it was really like, you feel like a superstar. Yeah. Especially when you're selling drugs and you're the one that can get everything that it's a, it's a euphoric feeling on top of the high that you're going to get, you yeah. know? And you just, but I mean, I'll, I'll add this, it's a false feeling because as we all know, in the drug game, in the end, nobody's truly your friend. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, the high is going to end eventually. The euphoria is going to end. And oftentimes those crashes are, are really hard. And so Teen Challenge, you know, you went to, went to Teen Challenge, went to what two different Teen Challenges, right? Went to Albany for a few days and that just wasn't where the Lord had you. And then finally you ended up in um, Baltimore and um, God really used the Baltimore is just where, where he needed you to go. And, you know, that happens a lot of times. A lot of people make a decision to go to a rehab and doesn't work out the first time for whatever reason, and then end up continuing their course. Um, but God got a hold of your life at, at Baltimore teen challenge. Um, so what, what significant things did God do in you at Baltimore teen challenge? I mean, what, what, what is a big takeaway from your time in that discipleship program that you would, you would want to share? Um, I guess my original pastor there, Pastor Ron was, I mean, he was, he's an amazing guy and he's, he's still a mentor to me today. And he, um, I remember when I first got there, 
he was just straight up with me. He didn't, he didn't sugarcoat anything. He just told me straight up. He's like, why do you want to be here? And, you know, I, I gave him the whole, gave him the whole situation. And then he was like, he was kind of like, we'll see. (laughs) And so, and that was his style. And I think, I think it's very effective. And, and I guess just, when I first got there, we had a lot of, it was a lot of structure. And like I said before, you're going to feel, you got a lot of guys that come in that I was in the program with that they were there for two weeks and they became super Christians and they were preachers and all this. And they just didn't, they just didn't get what God was trying to do for them. You know? Yeah. Because you have to understand that for me, it was 30, you know, 25 30 years of addiction maybe 20 25 years but and so when you're when you're get relocated like that and you're everything that you do on a daily basis is uprooted and changed it's um it's just a process yeah and it's just something that you have to i mean you really have to you really have to want it so i mean I mean, I know a lot of people that I graduated with, they, a lot of them actually had a, had a guy that I was, took to the doctors and he stole the van and he OD'd three days later in the stolen team challenge van. Mm. And so, I mean, it's just, that's how real it is out there. And it's, and I think most, I think most first and foremost, it's all the different pastors that came because we do things, we did things different in Baltimore than we did, than you know they do in Shenandoah here. We had, we had like a volunteer pastor from a local church volunteer to come in and teach a certain class out of the fourteen weeks that we do. And just to, I guess, just to hear all these different testimonies and and a lot of those guys, a lot of those pastors were in the drugs or gangs before they got saved and became a pastor. So it was. It was just all those encouraging testimonies and just all the church, even though I was tired of going to church, but I mean, went to church like six days a week. Yeah. I think there's a desperation too that exists. I mean, you, you described the scenario, what happened, you know, with, with your daughter and, and kind of what led you to finally reach out for help. And I think in those moments when we kind of hit that, that end of our road, there's a, there's a desperation that starts to rise up in us to do something different. And I know for me, some of my experiences trying to get it together before I wasn't really desperate for me to change my life. I was, I was kind of desperate to fix it for other people. But once I got to that place where I really recognized that I needed to change me and I became desperate and hungry for change, that's when it really worked, you know? And Nobody else can want it for you. You mean you really gotta want this this whole recovery journey. You gotta want this freedom thing for yourself. And so so now you're 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 graduated teen challenge. You're back you're back in Virginia for a while now. And um what's God got you doing in your life right now? Well, I'm the I work at Shannon Valley Teen Challenge now and I'm the I'm the program director for the men's and women's program. And it's kind of cool because it's it's something that 
I mean, you know, as well as I do, God called our family to ministry. And me, you, and Annie, all of us have been in the ministry at different times, sometimes at the same time, in one capacity or the other. And I just, I think it's just cool now because just to show the guys that are coming in and the women, you know, just to show them God's love and show them the love of what what real love is and just to see people that you know there's a lot of people that come here that are just biding time but the people that come here that really get set free and they really they really want change and the transformation happens and they trust god and they have that relationship with jesus christ and that's what's amazing yeah and it's just it's just all about your heart man like it's if you really want it, then you're going to get it. It's it's crazy. You talk about that whole call to ministry and how, um, you know, years ago, for those who are listening, don't understand the reference. Years ago, there was a, a minister that showed up at a church service where my parents were. And um, at the time, he, he really felt like God was calling our entire family to ministry. And he, he gave a word over our family you know, and said that, you know, God set this family apart for ministry. And mom and dad really believed that word. After that happened in the upcoming years, every single one, all three of their kids, the three of us that lived in Virginia um, would all fall into drug addiction. And each of us would go through our individual journeys. Mine lasted five years. Sean was, you know, in his 10, 10, 15 years after that, my sister, probably seven or eight years caught up in addiction and so they heard this this promise from God that God was calling this family to ministry, but yet, you know, there were all these years of addiction and and wondering if the promise was ever going to come to pass. And then finally, years and years later, each of us made our way to Teen Challenge and got free from addiction. And, and as Sean mentioned, all of us have been either actively serving in the ministry. At one point, we were all serving together. You know, now we're kind of all doing different things, but... God was faithful to his word. And so for, for families that may be out there listening, my encouragement to you is don't give up hope. Sometimes this journey can be a long one. It can be a frustrating one. It's going to be a painful one. But if anything, the testimony of what God has done in our family is hope that even, even like Joseph, like he had to wait 13 years before the vision, the dream that God gave him came to pass. And so even though it, it may seem like it's taking longer than you expected, stay persistent, stay faithful to God, just like Joseph did. And on the other end of that, you know, I believe strongly that God can do a miracle in your family. And so, Sean, as we wrap up, um, you have any parting words uh, for anybody who may be listening today? You know, if you just kind of some final thoughts as we, we finish up the show. I guess it would just be the, you gotta you gotta establish a relationship with Jesus. And that's and you have to I mean I guess before that you have to really come to terms with your addiction and what it's doing to your life. Yeah. And then and then just start seeking God. Yeah. And see because that's the only way out. Yeah, seek God and seek the help of others. I mean that's it's fantastic advice and you know, I tried to avoid some of the funny conversations because 
Like I wanted to keep this podcast serious, but like I've been tempted several times to tell the story about when you sold me fake drugs back <laughs> back when I was a teenager, and um, I was getting ready to go off to the army as one of my rehab attempts, and I wanted to get high one last time, and my brother decided to sell me fake drugs um, as a way to to protect me from myself. Anyways, I think I've gotten over that by now. It's been a long time, but um, <laughs> for the sake of our listeners, I avoided all those funny stories. Maybe there'll be one day when we get on the show and it's not as serious and we can kind of talk about some of that stuff now. Um, I don't want to make light of people's pain. Um, you know, Now that we're on the other side of it, we can kind of laugh about some of that mess a little bit. But hey, thanks everybody for listening and on tuning in again to Anchor of Hope Recovery Podcast. If you found value at all from this conversation, you know, our, our mission is to just continue to inspire hope. Um, Jesus is the answer for drug addiction. And so if you found value, please subscribe, hit the five-star review button. Um, you have any feedback, please feel free to shoot me a message on Facebook if there are any topics or um, maybe guests that you have in mind. But we really appreciate you joining in to the show today. Uh, Sean, thanks again for being on. It was an honor, privilege to talk to you. Um, God bless you guys and have a great day. All right. Thanks for having me.